regardless of where you're at, you know, you can get talented people to help you, even if it's for five hours of their time or 10 hours of their time or, or 20. It doesn't have to be full time. And I think that's one of the benefits of living in the day and age that we do is you can get talented people to work with you. It doesn't have to be a commitment of a full-time role with salary, with benefits. It can be these little projects. It could be these unique agreements. It could be partnerships and all the rules have been thrown out the window and we're sort of rewriting what it looks like to be an entrepreneur. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I have badass business owner Jared Kleinert. Jared is a serial entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and consultant whose clients have ranged from organizations like Facebook, Samsung, Bacardi, Estee Lauder, IBM, Cornell, Berkeley, the list goes on. He was a delegate to President Obama's 2013 Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Malaysia. He's written multiple books, including the number one entrepreneurship book of 2015, Two Billion Under 20. His insights on entrepreneurship and networking have been featured in major media such as Forbes, Time, Harvard Business Review, Fortune, NPR, Entrepreneur, Mashable, Fox Business, and more. More recently, he is the co-founder of a funded startup called Offsite, and he is about to launch a new book called Networking, How to Build a World-Class Network in Record Time. He's been in the game for over 15 years, and guess what? He's only 26. Yep. Jared's going to share his story today and how he's managed to do so much at such a young age, how he manages and thinks about his time so he can make all of this happen, and his advice on hiring support even when you don't need or want employees. We've got a lot to cover, so buckle up. Here we go. Hey, Jared. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Jared, it's been a while. It's been a couple of years. and You've done a lot. Yeah, I feel like I've had 10 years of experience in the last 18 months, which we all have for better or for worse. No kidding. I feel like last time I talked to you, you were homeless living out of a backpack. Is that why do I remember that? You were like, I don't live anywhere. I just well, travel. Close enough. It yeah, cl- <laughs> I I grew up in South Florida, decided not to go to college right away. And so when I was 18, I moved from South Florida to New York City. And I was nomadic for about five years. And for five that, years? Oh, four, okay. Yeah, four or five years. I just Airbnb'd, subletted here and there. You know, I'd be in New York for two months, then I'd travel for conferences or for work for two, three weeks. Then I'd come back to the city in a different Airbnb in Brooklyn. And so I, I was basically living out of a backpack. When I was 18, I did like the gap year, like, let's actually go backpack in Europe for seven weeks. That was amazing. And then I, I met a lovely lady, Tara, and you know, we started dating long distance, and she would come visit me in New York. She wasn't a huge fan of my digs, but she still liked me for who I was. <laughs> and after a little over a year, she's like, you need to move to Atlanta. And so I moved to Atlanta, ended up getting married to this lovely lady. Now I'm in Atlanta, as I record this, married and have a condo. So now <laughs> I am not homeless. Gotcha. Wow. <laughs> Moving on up in life. I cannot believe you did that for five years. That is very adventurous of you. What co- conferences? That's such a, I don't know, it took me a while to get there. How did you know to do that 
in col- college age? Yeah, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I like to okay. say being born a white dude in the US is privilege enough, which is very true. But also coming from a family where business was around me at a young age, I wasn't scared to start my own thing. Uh, and so I also wasn't entitled to go into any of the family businesses. I, I worked in a family catering business from 11 to 16 years old. Uh, that was probably the only business I could have walked into and actually had a role in for the next few years. But even today, after you know, 14, 15 years of working in the family business, I probably wouldn't have ownership of it, or I'd be a minority owner working under my dad and my grandma. And so that, you know, if that was the only family business I could go into, it was not really of interest to me after, you know, working catering jobs from 11 to 16. And so at 15, I just started tinkering with my own ideas. And so I had this idea called nowigetit.com, which allowed you to access tutors from around the world via web chat. That never fully launched. I spent time with a mentor person dude that I, you know, found in my journeys early on. And turned out that guy was a former white collar convict who spent time in prison for securities fraud on Wall Street. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, how I did just, you like, find that out? <laughs> like, I, I could have just Googled his name and, and found it. But he ended up telling me after about six months of, of hanging out with him on an almost daily basis. And I mean, that we can go into that later, but that, that kind of led me to do like a 180 on who I surround myself with and find much more positive mentors. But yeah, just, just at a young age, you know, being entrepreneurial, that led to uh, a job opportunity later with a tech startup called 15.5, worked there for two years from 16 to 18. And then- Were you in school been, also? I was in school up until 18. No, I, I did high school. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, just, I became less and less interested in, in high school <laughs> as no I became kidding. more and more interested in business. And yeah, I guess everything stems from, I guess, being in an entrepreneurial family, being born in the, in the U.S. and, you know, starting at a young age. And that's allowed me the opportunity to do a bunch of cool things, fail a lot, you know, stumble into some things that are working and still be very young after all that. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Obviously, as an entrepreneur, I'm looking at my toddler son. I'm like, how do I instill this in you? But I think it's probably just natural. Oh, yeah. Me um, me and my wife are going to have like shark tanks at our home yeah. <laughs> for, our, for our eight-year-old. You know, we don't, we don't have kids yet. But entrepreneur too? Yeah, she's she owns uh, a magazine and makes horror movies. And so we oh, have a very entrepreneurial awesome. home here. Very yeah. cool. You said your grandma too. So not just your parents, but like your whole family. Grandparents, step-aunts wow. and uncles, you know, uncle mom dad brother my brother is like a paper straw business or like a, a better straw and better recyclables business yeah it's it's just crazy over here and is there like <laughs> one lone sheep who's like a professor like a tenured professor or something <laughs> like the, um, the most stable non-entrepreneurial job i can think of <laughs> i guess my my mom's fiance, but he just came into the picture over the last like five years. So gotcha. <laughs> it's a pretty stable job. But. He'll, he'll, yeah, he'll come around. Okay. So, wow. What a cool upbringing. What a, what a unique upbringing. So, so fast forward. I think I met you through Dory Clark. I feel like I met you at a Dory dinner. Yes. Yeah. And you're in her new book, which I read. Yes right before it came out, which is very cool. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Let's just jump straight to the present. I know you just launched a new business in the last year, which didn't surprise me. Tell us about it. I guess my, my career really starts, you know, yes, at 15. But at, at 16, I, I got to work for 
a tech startup called 15.5. I was one of the, the first 10 employees of this company. They were a remote first company 10 years ago, and they were also pioneers in employee engagement and culture management software. Uh, not surprisingly today, they're over 300 employees. They're going to be either a multi-billion dollar tech company or be acquired in the next few years. They're regularly named like the number three place to work by Glassdoor in the US or like number one in California, still fully remote. And, you know, got to work under the, the co-founders and the, you know, one of them CEO, one of them is the chief culture officer. And you know, really learned not only what it's like to be at a remote first company, not only what it's like to build great company culture or like see what success looks like, but also the, the CEO of that company was called the most connected man you don't know in Silicon Valley. And so he was a super connector. And so by working for him, that led me to basically everything else in my career. I realized the importance of networking and relationship building made it my mission to become equally skilled at that or, or build that as my zone of genius. And so when I left 15.5, I took a gap year from college, wanted to start my own business again. And so I started a sort of randomly started a marketing consulting business. I was coming out with my first book about a year after that, uh, which is probably a, a whole other podcast, but I was profiling some of the world's top performing millennials in a book called 2 Billion Under 20, because there's you know, 2 billion people in the world that are under 20 years old. And we were trying to show the whole generation like cool people to model after. Then I did the same thing with 3 billion under 30 later on. So I've, I did two books over the you know, late teens, early 20s, did a TED talk and TEDx talks, whatever. But I, I started building my own network and, and building these relationships. I also got a chance to work with Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote the book Never Eat Alone. He was my first consulting client. And so oh, wow. I was able to build a, like a marketing consulting business off of that case study, essentially. No <laughs> kidding. When you get one it's great a client, huge you, book. yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you get one great client like that. Every author speaker wants to hire you. And so had he written the book when you met him or did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never, oh, yeah. never read alone has oh. been around for probably longer than I have. <laughs> maybe, oh, really? maybe he came out right after I was born or something, but he was coming out with the expanded and updated edition. And so I, I sort of pitched him on like, Hey, I can help you get on these cool things called podcasts and you know, do all this like blog stuff that you may not be doing. So anyways, uh, long story short, I've, I've built a network over the last decade. I've built my own sort of speaker, author, consultant business after working in the tech industry that led to, I guess, a media business, you could say, where I, I wrote 2 billion under 20. I self-published 3 billion under 30 and like it literally printed 10,000 hardcover books. Um, you can't see it in the recording, but like I, I like printed you uh -huh. know, 10,000 oh, wow. of these hardcover. like 376 page books that are, you know, you would never know it was self-published. And then I have a new book out called Networking. And so I self-published that. So I guess I kind of have a, a media business going. I had a, this marketing uh -huh. consult, marketing consulting business going. Shut down the marketing consulting business because I had started another business, which is a mastermind called Meeting, and I still have Meeting in the Minds. That's my business where I get to bring together amazing entrepreneurs from all different parts of my network together in person once a quarter, and we go to Napa or Bermuda, or I bring people to Atlanta, or I go to New York. And we have three days where we get to build businesses together and help each other with our biggest challenges of marketing or business development or sales or delegation or branding, you know, anything can happen at a meeting of the minds. And, and so that 
you know, today I, I still have meeting in the minds during the pandemic. We actually acquired another business called Network Under 40, which does monthly networking events in different cities, sort of like your standard like networking mixer. And we're trying to make it, uh, hipper and, and cooler again, but they, they were hurting during the pandemic. I, I knew the owner previously who's actually a meeting in the minds attendee and speaker. And uh, we shepherded that business. And then I also started a new business called Offsite, which is joinoffsite.com. That is basically planning a meeting of the minds for other companies uh, and planning their team retreats or their offsites because everyone's gone remote in the last two years, especially, although that I I would argue that's been the trend over the last 10 years since I was at 15.5 and no one knows how to do team retreats well. It's a really arduous and and annoying and cumbersome process. And so we just make it stress-free. We do end-to-end team retreat planning. And so today that's, that's my full-time job. We've, we've raised some, you know, angel investment and and VC funding, started making our first hires, bringing on our, our first, you know, dozen or so beta clients that are other venture backed startups and Inc 5000 companies. So off to the races there while trying to keep meeting in the minds and network under 40 alive while somehow getting another book out. I, I don't I don't know why all this is happening, but I'm grateful for all of it. <laughs> That's awesome. And well, it sounds like they're all shaking each other's hands. I mean, you built offsite because it was a logical next step from your meeting of the minds. And now I assume offsite yeah. also will run your meeting of the minds. It events. can. Yeah. We we are right. Yeah, it, it it is possible. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so at the end of the day, like I'm a super connector in skill set and, and like to use that as part of my identity. So all my businesses are around human connection, you know, increasing that, trying to get positive outcomes for our clients, whether that's strengthening the ties at work to your colleagues and building trust and intimacy that can lead to better strategic planning for your company, or it's, you know, you as an entrepreneur, um, especially someone like yourself, who's achieved a certain level uh, of success at your business and wants to level up. There's only so many places that you can go where you can really be vulnerable, like share what's going well, but also share like what is a problem and get, you know, advice from other people who are at your level with different skill sets about how you can improve. And so that's meeting of the minds. Network under 40 is kind of like a feeder to both of those. And the book is just remix of all the podcasts and courses and, you know, TEDx talks I've given on the subject of the last 10 years. Your new book is, what's it called? Networking. Networking. Simply called networking. <laughs> I'm going to own uh, this idea. Got yeah, it. Networking, how to meet influential people, deepen relationships, and become a super connector. Yes. Amazing. And you're the super connector. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Jeez, that's quite... How do you do all of this, Jared? What's your secret? I don't know if I have a secret quite yet, but I, I definitely... I've I've been prioritizing and delegating. That is... Those are the two skill sets I've been forced to learn more. I wouldn't call myself an expert on those. I'm, I'm an expert at networking and relationship building, but networking and relationship building helps when it comes to recruiting and, and finding great people. It, it allows you to you know delegate and have some emotional intelligence to know if you're giving someone too much or too little or to learn yourself when you're like wasting someone's time on your team. And then like you can take feedback and recalibrate how you're delegating. So I've, I've just been playing into my strengths of, of the people skills and learning you know, how to hire, how to how to fundraise that I have money to hire with a new tech business. And then, uh, yeah, just, just trying to put people in places where they can support me and also prioritizing, like at the end of the day, 
offsite is my priority right now. And so, you know, if I am stuck between putting an hour there or like putting an hour towards the book launch promotion, like I'm going to put time towards offsite and that's okay. So I've kind of just been okay with certain things going faster than others in my career and other things going more slow and steady. You know, a lot of people listening don't have any employees or they are in the process of or have maybe a VA or something. When did you make that transition through through this timeline? At what point did you start bringing on help and what kind of help was it first? So I am about to turn 26 as we are recording this. Like my birthday is in like 10 days. God. I think this year <laughs> I think this year will probably be the first time I actually have a full time employee for, uh-huh. for the very first time, like like legally, you know, with a with a state uh, and a country. But over the last 10 years, I have virtual assistants at you know, many points. I've had a dedicated US based executive assistant for the last four years, who is also my accountant. And there's there's two people that at that company that support me. And so that relationship has been crucial to have that support. Tell me more about that. What does that person do for you? It's it's uh, managing cash flow for for me personally and and for the businesses on a weekly basis it's some email management it's tasks that i don't want to do <laughs> honestly could be personal it could be business and then uh it, it's ranged over time you know they elena has really been a, a swiss army knife for me and you know has done help with business development and, and i've given her different research tasks to do or she's coordinated with like the director of operations for Network Under 40, which is another part-time employee that sort of we acquired when I acquired that business. And so, yeah, it's I, I haven't had like full-time employees that I'm giving like healthcare to until this year, but I have had people around me to support me. Um, with the most successful projects and companies, I've typically had a business partner. For Meeting in the Minds, I've not had a business partner. And for Network Under 40, I've, I've simply acquired that business. But with Offsite, I have an amazing business partner, someone that been an operator and a serial entrepreneur himself has raised hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate is very skilled operationally and brings his own resources to the table in terms of other talented people with 2 billion under 20. My first book, I wrote that with uh, a woman, Stacy Ferreira, who is a Teal fellow and Forbes 30 under 30 honoree and has started and sold, you know, two businesses now and is working for the company that acquired her last company and is very, very talented. So, you know, I I would say the most successful companies have typically been with a partner, but finding partners you trust is is very hard. So I think like what you've done to to build your your business and and do it by yourself, well that I guess you don't work by yourself. You work with your husband. Um, I do work with my husband. So so yeah, I'm the, I, <laughs> I'm the business. So right, right. Sometimes it feels. <laughs> sometimes, well, he's a creative, so so it definitely like definitely not doing it alone. And whether that's yeah. whether it's having a, a partner that you trust that is better than you at a lot of things, and you compliment that person, and or as a solopreneur you have at, at minimum like an executive assistant and if not like additional consultants and uh part-time resource that can help you like that is table stakes for me at least on like doing anything positive during a eight-hour day yeah absolutely what's what what's the difference between an executive assistant and a va probably just level of trust the and the relationship you know i probably would not let elena go for 
most like for any reason you know unless she wanted to like start her own business or do something and i'd want to support her but i mean i've i've met elena in person multiple times i've invested time money energy into that relationship i've met her husband I, i i met her through her colleague stephanie who i've also been working with probably a year longer than elena um and you, I guess you can do those things with VAs, but there, there's a level of trust I have with Elena and Stephanie that I probably wouldn't have with VAs. Like they have access to all my accounts. They, I, I would trust them to do almost any task. You know, they are honest with me when they think that I'm giving them something they're not going to be good at. Yeah, there's just a, a level of trust there that saves a lot of time. Hey guys, I wanted to jump in here really quickly and ask you for a big favor. If you love this podcast, if you love this episode, I would be grateful if you would share it with a friend who would benefit or better yet on Instagram in your stories and tag me at Pia Loves Your Biz. It really is the best way for others to find out about the show and I thank you in advance for your help. All right, back to the episode. That's great. That's really helpful to hear. Can I ask one more thing? Is she full-time? Elena and Stephanie are not full-time. They're probably 15, 20 hours a week between the accounting and the executive assisting work, which is probably, that. that's probably a decent hack to know. Like You can get a lot of help by having someone for 15, 20 hours a week if you're mindful about your communication with them and if you're giving them high value tasks because our director of operations for network under 40 has been working, you know, 15, 20 hours a week for network under 40 for four years. She's a, not a stay at home mom, but she is, is cares a lot about her family. And so she will not work more than 20 hours a week. I like, if I ask her to work more than 20 hours a week, she would leave the company if that happened for multiple weeks on end. Uh, and I respect that. She's very clear about that. And so it's my job to give her clear tasks, high value tasks. In fact, I'm meeting with her later today in person for three hours as a, a quarterly planning session. But other than like a two, three hour meeting once a quarter and a weekly one hour meeting, I don't take up her calendar with meetings. And instead, I just let her do her thing. And so what's her what's her position? She's director of operations for Network Under 40. But she's essentially like the chief operating officer, like she runs that business. And so it is nice. And (laughs) I I think you couldn't have so many businesses if you didn't have people like correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you know, regardless of where you're at, you know, you can get talented people to help you, even if it's for five hours of their time or 10 hours of their time or, or 20, it doesn't have to be full time. And I think that's one of the benefits of living in the day and age that we do is you can get talented people to work with you. It doesn't have to be a commitment of a full time role with salary with benefits. It can be these little projects, it could be these unique agreements, it could be partnerships, and all the rules have been thrown out the window. uh, And we're sort of rewriting what it looks like to be an entrepreneur. And I know you're very passionate about that and running a business in a very certain way and doing things in your style. And it's worked for you. And I think it could work for a lot of people to figure out what, you know, support they need, what they can invest in and, and start with that. 
I love that. Yeah. That's such a great message for everyone to hear. I always like to tell people it's it's your business. It can be whatever you want. I think a lot of people walk around thinking that it's supposed to look a certain way. And it's like, that's the beauty of it. If you decide you want, if you decide I'm not working more than 20 hours a week because my family is important to me, then you figure out how to make that work. And if you want to make a certain amount of money doing that, then you figure out how to make that work. It's got to be a certain kind of job. But it sounds like this woman has really found her spot as as anyone should feel if they if they're in the right position yeah and that that's definitely true if you're running like a lifestyle business or solopreneur business or anything that you don't have investors so like that is also one of the answers like the the honest answers to like how i can do offsite is meeting in the mind just takes up less of my time and i've taken my you know, it's not that I don't want to maximize revenue there, but I want to maximize profit per hour that I invest in the business. And so I've had to make decisions around how I run meeting in the minds that uh, saves me time. So I've taken like certain service offerings out of the marketplace. I've only focused on like our quarterly summits, something that I can sort of parachute into run for a weekend, which I would do anyways for fun, you know, and, and go to conferences and events, and I can get paid for that. And in a way, it's it's running a healthier business. I'm running a more profitable business, but that's how I can sort of run Meeting of the Minds, Network Under 40, do the book stuff, all while being actually full-time with offsite, with actual investors, myself included, my co-founder included, where I cannot work 10 hours a week. Like People are relying on me mm. to work full-time there are just different rules to the tech game like what we don't want to have a profitable business like no you don't want to have a profitable business you want to have a growing business and like you need yeah. to get to the next fundraising round and it's it's a different game so yeah and this is your first time doing it it's successful you were yeah part- it's it's my first time getting this far I, congratulations I was early, thank you I was, I was an early employee at a you know a vc-backed tech startup that uh will do very well i've made a couple of very tiny angel investments this year. And that's an amazing learning experience because I get to sort of peep into the the businesses of other entrepreneurs and and see if I can help them as well. And, you know, somehow I hope to make money from that if, if those businesses grow and, and ever sell. But yeah, it's, it, this is my first tech startup where I'm actually like in the game. And yeah, that's super exciting to me. But it, it is a different, you know, it, it's not the work 20 hours a week so you can be at home with your family sort right. of deal it's uh i mean now it's easy never to like work in my living room and like see my wife and you could still have a great lifestyle around that you, you shouldn't kill yourself running a startup but it is a different beast than uh meeting of the minds or you know other projects well, and isn't it also like you said getting to the next round not necessarily being profitable there are sprints i mean there's a there's a clear goal for exit you're not building a lifestyle business so you're trying to level up and i you know, there's like kind of timelines that that needs to happen on. Yeah, that's, that's something that I don't know anything. Yeah, about I <laughs> from, from the outside, that's what I've, I've correct. I, I'm still learning, mm-hmm. but I am more clear about that than you know maybe 15, when I was 15 and starting. Now I get a .com. There are metrics to hit. There is a especially with offsite and just the the market that we're in and, and our early indicators of success, such as paying clients, such as investors. We went through an accelerator, which is a program where a VC gives you like a big check and then they like give you resources and they want to like accelerate the growth of your business. And that was super helpful. And so, yeah, the the roadmap has relatively clear, 
doesn't mean it's easy, you know? No, not at all. <laughs> I Well, I have to, I'm sorry for this uninformed question, but I, I have to ask. Offsite sounds, it from your description, I wouldn't think it was a tech startup. What makes it a tech startup when it sounds like it's more of like a service? So today it's a service, but okay. we are building software as a service or, or what they say is a SaaS business. And Fun fact, a lot of the best startups actually start as services um, in order to prove the market. So like Uber, for example, started as a taxi service, and then they proved that enough people would use their phone to like trigger the need for a taxi that they then built software to scale that business. And so we started Offsite by doing a white glove concierge service, planning team retreats for other companies. Mm -hmm. And now we've done it enough times where we're seeing things that we can automate on the back end, you know, me and, and our head of customer success primarily. And we've also started building a product. You know, we hired a design team, went through a whole like three-day design sprint, and then they started prototyping what that looks like. And now we're moving to actually uh, building like screen by screen what offsite is going to look for. I'm simultaneously hiring our first engineer so that we can build what the screens look like. Gotcha. So ultimately, it's going to be a SaaS business and the service will be taken out of it and you'll use this app to to, to plan your retreats. Correct. There may still be some, you know, customer success in there. But Mm -hmm. yeah, a a lot of tech companies start as a uh, service business. I actually think it's a better way to start a tech company because you can keep your burn rate low. You can make sure you're doing something that customers will pay for. And if they're going to pay for a service that has some lag time between like making a request of what you need and like having the service delivered, and then you can make magical software to like reduce that lag time and make that experience better and more consistent, then you might have a company on your hands. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a good way to start a tech business is to have a service business. Yeah, I, w- I would recommend start running a service business, consulting business like early in your career anyways. Like even if you want to keep it a lifestyle business, great. You've obviously built a, a very nice lifestyle for yourself around your business. If you want to create a tech company and like play that game, cool. But a service business can give you the sort of financial foundation to yes. then take the big chances on a tech business. It may show you problems that you are having or your clients are having that you can then create software around rather than just like randomly creating a software idea in your head and then trying to figure it out and, you know, failing. So I, I think, you know, th- there's a term out there called like a launch pad business. And I think consulting businesses or service businesses can be great launch pads to your career, give you, you know, a profitable like lifestyle business that you can then double down on and, and turn into a seven, eight figure business, or you can sort of take the earnings from that and do something else, even if it's not business oriented. Like if you want to go travel for a year, like save up enough money in your consulting business and then just stop taking yes. clients and then go travel, yes, <laughs> do whatever I'm, you want. <laughs> I'm totally aligned with that. I I talk to so many people who have this dream of the, the passive income. Usually it's more information products than tech businesses, but it's the same concept, right? Like building something that is scalable requires a completely different input in terms of your time, knowledge, team you need to it needs to be scalable you need a high audience like there's so many different things and if you haven't done anything like that and you've only done services you might not know just how different it is and i see a lot of people say oh i, w- I want that i say we'll build the consulting business first because that's where you not just hone your expertise like cut your teeth learn a lot about business to begin with but 
that's where the profit, money and time, profit come. And you need that. You can't start, you can't do what you're doing if you have no money in the bank and you have no way to make money because you're not making money for a long time. Like you said, the goal is not to make money in the beginning. <laughs> it's to scale. So that's such a great point. I, I More people need to hear that because I think all we do is see this stuff, like even the tech businesses, we see it from the outside and it looks so shiny. Like you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Unless you watch The Social Network, which I right. watched recently again. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, I mean, like my, my co-founder, Kier, does not take a salary with Offsite. So had he not created other streams of income through, like he owns hotels and has uh, a, a real estate um, agency that kind of does its own thing. He, he was very active on that for many years and built right. a high-end like luxury brokerage team. Uh, but now it runs itself. And then he like works really hard to acquire hotels and put management in place. Now they run themselves. So had he not done all the hard work before I even knew him to do that, he couldn't yes. help build offsite with without a salary to start and you know with everything that he's doing. I'm taking, you know, mi- you know, a minimal salary. Like everyone we hire will have a higher salary than I will to start, which is okay. And that's, you know, because I have the other businesses as well. And so I don't necessarily agree with like the split focus thing, but that's where we go back to prioritization and delegation. You know, like I, I am slightly scatterbrained, but like I do know that at the end of the day, offsite's the priority, then everything else is is done on weekends or by other people or, you know, a few hours here, a few hours there. But it's uh, not to take away from the main thing. Yeah. Well, that seems clear and and the investors make that super clear because you can't now you're playing with other people's money. So you got to show up for them. Can you tell us a little bit about your besides being 26, which is already easier in life? (laughs) Man, I felt I just had like more. I could do bad things to my body and still feel great when I woke up in the morning when I was 26. Can you share a little bit about what your kind of daily habits are, routine that you, that you use to be able to juggle all of these things and be able to have so much just energy to do all of this stuff? Like, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I work from home. So like my, my commute is zero. <laughs> we joke that like our living room and our when bedroom condos turned into our like shared co-working space <laughs> because my like <laughs> I have a standing desk like right by the kitchen and then my, my wife's desk was like to my left and you know having a very supportive partner is huge as well that that's like super meta but I mean we're both entrepreneurs so we get it like we don't have to waste time like explaining our decisions to each other and on the flip side there's just like you know full support and so and that goes both ways and so that definitely helps uh I'm also pretty, I'm relatively regimented with my calendar. So like Mondays are my team meeting days and and planning days. And every morning there's like a little like thing in Slack called GeekBot that sends a little ping to everyone, at least for the offsite team about like what they're doing that day. So it's like a, they call it a stand-up meeting, but we do like an asynchronous stand-up meeting. On Monday, I'll check in with... What does that mean? A stand-up meeting, if you were in an office, would literally a, be everyone's... fast one. We're standing yeah, in a circle. Yeah, it's like literally everyone standing in a circle when we had offices. Just saying like, here's what I did yesterday. Here's what I'm doing today. Here's where I'm stuck. And so we, we kind of have a Slack plugin called GeekBot that si- oh, simulates that and... You know, people fill it out whenever they can in the morning. So then I get sort of insight into what people are doing, what they need help with. And so, you know, Mondays are my, you know, team meeting day, like, you know, set the 
strategy for the week, help everyone like reprioritize. And then, you know, both on Mondays and then each day through these like asynchronous check-ins, a lot of my time is just like helping remove barriers for other people so that they can do their job better. And then it's, yeah, we, we have an OKR planning session. So every quarter we do objectives and key results. We basically say, these are like the three to five things that matter this quarter, break that down into metrics or, or key results that we could track. And then that gets broken down into like more specific tasks. And so I'm very clear that for offsite, like, yes, there's a lot going on, but like, all I need to do is hire an engineer and, you know, sell a certain amount of offsites and everything else will take care of itself. But then it's like, okay, well, how do we sell X amount of offsites? Well, we need to, you know, hire a head of sales. We need to build a sales playbook. So I like, I can give it to Kier. We need to, you know, do these three other things. And like, how do we do those things? You know, it gets broken down. Other than that, I keep my calendar pretty clear and, and create like blocks of time to do stuff. And I'll start scheduling out you know maybe a week or two out so like last night i put on my calendar like all these blocks of time for next week so that i can do like outbound sales for three hours here like you know recruiting three hours here i'll batch calls so if i need to do podcasts or if i need to do uh certain sales calls i'll try and make them all back to back to back so i stay in that mode you know i, I delegate so that helps i have tried not to like work myself into the ground over the last few years. I've been very mindful about that as as I've started my life with Tara and just trying to create a life where I'm not reliant on working six, seven hours or six, seven days a week. And so, you know, typically I'll, I'll work a little bit over the weekends, but pretty much I'll shut off and just like have Saturday to sleep in and sort of you know, do stuff around the house and like, you know, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a bachelor, it's really easy to just work every day. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. So so I guess one of the two days every weekend, we like go out and we'll hike or, you know, see friends or whatever. And then the other day we'll just recharge and be lazy and watch Netflix. So that definitely helps. And then what else do I do? I mean, I, I try and work out like not every day, but, but most days I make a gigantic, like, thing of coffee in the morning like a pour over and then i just have that throughout the entire morning it's probably a dangerous amount of coffee but that helps yeah i I think you know you you can get lost in like the day-to-day week-to-week stuff but i I think probably the quarterly planning the like the the intention around how you do a week how you do a quarter how you do a year uh picking the right relationships to have those are probably the the more consequential decisions for me, at least, that's probably where most people don't give enough thought. They don't think hard about their life partner. They don't think too hard about their business partners and like really stress test that do any quarterly planning for their business. And if they do, it's kind of last minute and not towards a bigger picture goal. If they are looking to sell a business one day, they're not thinking a year or two out about how to maximize the price that they're going to sell the business. Yeah, they're just, we're not as intentional as we should be. And so I think that's what I've been better at than others, uh, perhaps. And that's, that makes up for a lot of slack during the the day and during the week. Like, I, I can mess around for an hour here, an hour there, but I've made bigger decisions that save me, you know, weeks, months, years, decades of my life. And that that matters. That you said so many good things. The last thing you said, particularly because I, I had a similar experience when I kind of realized that you can really just diddle away an entire day feeling really busy and 
even feeling productive and not really do much or not do anything that's pushing towards your bigger goals. You know, Steve and I have always been on the uh, the weekly, quarterly, yearly planning schedule as well. I'm actually kind of shifting into um, turning those quarters into more like six week sprints for reasons we don't talk about. But but regardless you know, all of the things that you said about how to think about your business, anybody, even if you're just selling your own services, to me, that is the best way to think about your business, best way to think about your planning. It is so easy to get lost if you don't have some sort of North Star that you're headed towards, some sort of lighthouse that's like, as long as I do this one thing, it's, I just watch, I coach, you know, uh, a bunch of people building their businesses. And I just watch so many people get overwhelmed. And I have had this experience too, by all the things you could do and just try, well, let me just do a little bit of all of them. And you're going to kind of tread water if you don't have that one or two clear things that you're working on right now. And that's what matters. So I just love how you, um, I can, that. I can add to that since yeah. you know most people here are not tech entrepreneurs and what I've, learned more recently, and I, I have not mastered this, this is an ongoing effort for me, but I've, I've realized that I need to create repeatable systems and frameworks of thinking in order to get things done. So mm -hmm. for example, I need a product roadmap and like a strategy for how we're building product in the next three, six, 12 months, years ahead. And even if I don't have the full product fleshed out, I need a process in place for how product gets created, like a design sprint. And so you know, maybe we have a design sprint every six to 12 months, and we go to that. And in the design sprint, there's, you know, a certain process of trying to collectively understand the issues and then interviewing clients and then, you know, sketching your ideas, and then it gets prototyped and all that. But there's kind of a, a repeatable framework there. And same with marketing, like I have kind of had a, a marketing framework in mind, because I, I did run a consulting business and help other entrepreneurs with that. Uh, but now I've started attempting to like put that into dashboards and like spreadsheets where I can track all the marketing ideas and actually track like each marketing experiment. And if marketing experiments work, I can build on that and turn them into like ongoing marketing campaigns and marketing channels. And so, I've, you know, even with recruiting, like yesterday, there's a tool called Notion. I'm not sure if you're oh, familiar yes. with it, but it like, can be I've, very, very fancy and complicated. <laughs> I've, I've started learning Notion and they have, oh, you know, great for templates you. for, mm -hmm. you know, th things like even like a recruiting effort. Like I've now built a, a sales funnel, essentially, and a process for recruiting. And those things, I, I think, will have compounding effects on getting stuff done so that I'm not always concerned about how things will get done. I, I know that you know, maybe I don't know how to hire a full stack engineer. Like one day I'll have to hire a, you know, a true like chief financial officer. Like maybe I don't know how to hire that person. But now I have a framework that I can plug that decision into. Uh, and now I know when it comes to strategic planning, like that process is going to take 20 to 40 hours. And I need to find 20 to 40 hours in my calendar to like prioritize that. Um, and so you know, even even planning an offsite for companies is part of their uh, rituals. It's part of the cadence of how you run a business and keep employees engaged and you know have those strategic planning sessions in person, ideally versus Zoom. And so just starting to think about these rituals, cadences, systems, that becomes your operating system as an entrepreneur. And then, you know, you can bring that to multiple businesses, you can use that at multiple stages in your business. So that's something I'm, I'm very much still developing. But building a startup has inspired me to think that way, because 
the road ahead is long. It's there's clear milestones, but not necessarily clear ways to get to those milestones. And I need to arm myself with opportunity to make those things happen. That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, process, 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 process will always make your life easier. As I now scale this business, I'm feeling, I mean, similar feeling of, wow, the road is really long. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm curious how you handle, or maybe you, I mean, oh, well, I don't know. I'll ask you, do you have this feeling of, because I certainly do often, this feeling of, gosh, none of it's really happening as quickly as I want because I just know how many things, if I had all the time in the world, if I could stop time, I would do all these things. And I just, you just can't. So you have to kind of do them in order and they're never going to be perfect and they're never going to all be done at the same time or, or whatever. It's going to take a while to get there because that's just how it is. But I, you know, I am like constantly facing those demons in my, you know, while I'm eating my cereal, <laughs> just going like, that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. I'm just curious if you have those feelings or you've just grown up around enough entrepreneurs. You're like, no, that's just entrepreneurship. No, I, I definitely have that, you know, here and there. I, I would say another thing I've learned in starting offsite is that it's much easier to start a business that is what one of our investors would call a pull business where like the marketplace is pulling you into that they're like clients are more than willing to pay you even if you do like half of what you think you're capable of they're happy with it and they're paying top dollar it's serving a very painful need in the market there's a big market you know some of the challenges i ran into with meeting of the minds is i was trying to like essentially fit a square peg into a round hole and like give you know valuable services to really cool clients, but it was just a much harder sell. Whereas with offsite, we, even without software, you know, we had, we didn't have a logo for six months or a website for, you know, the first like six months, but we were selling and growing month over month. Wow. And we would get on the phone with someone for an hour and they would trust us with, you know, thousands of dollars, uh, of service fees, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in a budget for planning an offsite you know, access to all their employees and like intimate company secrets and, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of billable hours of company time. So imagine how painful of a, a problem this is if companies are willingly like trusting some stranger on the internet to, uh, you know, do this for them. That's just a much easier business to start and scale than one where you're constantly having to like sell people on the merits of your work. And so, you know, not to say that it's it's not possible to do a push business, mm -hmm. which would be the opposite, but it is a lot more fun to do a pull business and have sure. <laughs> have inbound leads, be able to raise prices and no one's blinking, you know, or no one no one's caring that you raise prices because then, you know, the the bad times don't last for too long because then you get another lead in your inbox. You're like, oh my god, you know, it's working without me and like. I'd be stupid if I mess this up. Like that's that's kind of the idea you want if if you have the right systems in place, you pick the right market opportunity. So don't get me wrong, I still have those days and moments where I'm like, ah, I don't have enough time, or like, we're we're going too slow. That that's kind of the big startup problem is we're just going yeah. too slow. Which I guess it comes back to your general entrepreneurial point, but it's especially yeah. true in startups. So yeah, and I also have that you know I, I'm almost like sacrificing a little bit of progress with meeting in the minds with network under 40 and the books you could say um for the for offsite i'm just I, i've i've made peace with it which is not easy but that's but what you got to do critical yeah if yeah. you don't make peace with it then you'll just always feel like, like you're making, not doing this yeah, other thing yeah that's that's like yep. you know intentionally choosing to like spend more time with your family and your business doesn't grow as fast it's like well have, have you made peace with 
your decision to be a more active uh, and available parent? If so, like, okay, well, then, you know, 100%. that's, that's kind of the trade off you made. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you're saying that. You know, I, I have people that I coach, I tell them to write their accomplishments down every morning to remind themselves of everything that they've that they did the day before because it's very easy to get down on how much you need to do. Yeah, that's them, so that's so crucial. Like I, I don't even remember so like good. half of what I did yesterday. Yeah. Well, I, well, I you know, I do it most days and when I do, I'm always like, oh wow, you know, and if until I do it, I'm like, oh, that was a bust. And then I'm like, wait a second, no, I did all these things. I don't know how I felt like it was such a bust. It's just a way of being, but I tell them your accomplishments are not just your business accomplishments, they're also your personal accomplishments. So for example, no matter how hard I work, like I'm always home eating dinner with, you know, my family at six o'clock. No, yeah, a huge accomplishment, right? Like some people don't do that or aren't able to or whatever. That's a priority. That's got to be an accomplishment to your point. Like that is a trade-off that was made for a value and a reason. And if I had no kid or husband, I could work 24-7. But but that's not the <laughs> that's not the choice that everybody makes. That's not the choice right. I made. So I love that you said that. That's a great, that is a great parting message for us to end this on, Jared. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure catching up with you and hearing about this amazing new company that you are spearheading. Where can people find out more about you? Is your is networking out? Not at the time of recording, but like probably a week or two from now. So I'm not okay. sure when you'll publish the yeah, episode. Yeah, this will but... be up in a couple of weeks. So what, okay, what, day, does so... It, what day does it publish? Do you have as a soon as I finish it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's done. I'm now just getting like the ebook converted and yeah, yeah, uh, all this stuff. Yeah. So, but check out networking, how to meet influential people, deepen relationships, and become a super connector. It takes the last ten years of like TEDx talks, courses, blog posts, podcasts, and like takes all that and puts it into one book about how to build a world-class network in record time. Yeah, email templates and all that. Offsite is joinoffsite.com because I don't want to spend $100,000 to buy offsite.com. I think that's fair. <laughs> so joinoffsite.com if you're planning a team retreat or are even we are doing some like masterminds and client facing events. And so meeting in the minds has used offsite and, and that's cool. Yeah. And, and just say, hi, I'm just Jared Kleinert at gmail.com and happy to hear from you. Jared, thank you so much for coming on. It's great seeing you. Good luck Likewise. with everything. Thank you. For more info on becoming a super connector, Jared's book should be out today, if not today, very, very soon on Amazon. Check out Networking by Jared Kleinert. We'll link to this in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Taking inspiration from Jared today, I want you to take a second and just evaluate your business planning strategy. Do you have a clear set of goals each year? Do you have a systematic way of orienting your business and goals each quarter? Do you know your priorities list each week and each day? I'm a huge fan of annual, quarterly, weekly, and daily planning to make sure that you are maximizing the time that you spend on your business doing only high value stuff. So if you don't have a system for that, today is the day that you're going to take the first step towards making one. And if you do, that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wastervall. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. Mm-hmm.